All right, One Hope, help me to say hello to those who are on the other side of that camera. Come on, welcome them. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited to share God's word with you today. I believe that the message is going to speak to one of the most challenging areas of our lives. And so since I'm pretty excited about the message, I brought a sweat towel today. Okay, everybody, I'm going, I'm bringing my best TD Jakes because I don't know what's been happening with my body. I think it might be the seasonal change, but I've just been sweating for Jesus. Okay, that's what I've been doing up here. I just want you to know that when I'm sweating really good, it's a good time to say amen. Okay, that's that when you see me dabbing, you just need to, he's preaching well right there. Okay. It's going to be a great day. We're in part two of our series that we simply titled Goats. Everybody's familiar with the term goats, the greatest of all time. And we've decided to take it a little bit of a biblical spin. We're looking at the greatest overcomers of all time. Now, I know in our secular world, our sporting world, there's lots of debate uh, who the goats are in every field. How many of y'all, uh, how many of y'all say Tom Brady's the goat? Anybody in the room? Got a, got a few Tom Brady. How many of y'all say Drew Brees is the goat? Come on now. <laughs> Those of you knew that when I said Tom Brady, you were going to lose no matter what, right? Because this is a saint's town, right? Drew Brees is, he, you know, he's, he's still holding on to the trophy. I know Tom Brady surpassed the yards this week, but I didn't watch that, Okay. I didn't watch that. I'm not paying attention to that. Drew Brees is still a goat in my opinion. And we could jump into the basketball world that, you know, there's Michael Jordan. Any Michael, Michael Jordan is the goat. Come on, show me the, I, I think y'all are Michael Jordan kind of church. That's why we're friends, right? There, there's this other guy, Kobe, pretty cool. I think he's pretty good. Any, any Kobe? Kobe's a goat. No. There's a third guy, but I won't even say his name, okay? Like, I'm not even going there. I don't even think he's in the conversation, in my opinion. But there are goats in every sporting environment. But how many of y'all know that when it comes to God, there's only one goat? How many of y'all know there's never been another person in all of history to change the world as much as Jesus Christ changed the world? He's the greatest of all time. He's the goat. That's why I'm a Christian. And you say, well, you're a Christian because you, you grew up in America or your daddy was a pastor. Can I tell you, it's not true. I did my homework because I didn't want to make the choice just because everybody said to make the choice. I actually, one of the reasons I went to a theological school is because I wanted to prove them wrong. And I found out they were right. That's hard to say from a stage, right? Come on, ladies, where you at? When your husband looks over and says, you were right, that's a big deal. But they were right. I discovered that even though I love to throw the Bible out and say it's a religious book, it's not a religious book. It's a historical account of God's relationship with people. And as you study it more and more and more, you find that Jesus is just, he's preeminent for a reason. He's the goat. And so this is why we're a Bible-believing, Jesus-believing church. Just really simple. You can say, well, that's kind of old school. Welcome to old school church, all right? Old school church, but new shoes, everybody, right? That's where we're at. This is kind of church we are, right? We just, we're studying the goats and having as much fun as we possibly can have doing it. Last week, we kicked off the series by looking at the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul, he was the, the first in the New Testament church to really press back against the evil attack in the world. And we talked about last week how that we can overcome evil with good. 
And it's actually our key verse for the series. Romans chapter 12, 21. It'll be on every screen. Come on, read it with me. Full voice. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're, we're not going to give in to the evil in the world. We're going to stand up and do what's right in spite of the evil around us. And we're going to overcome. We're going to carry off the victory. That's what the word there in the original language. When you overcome, you carry off the victory. And so last week, we jumped into the deep end of the pool and we dealt with evil. Like, really evil? Yeah. We talked about the devil and evil and how that evil is present in the world. And now, today, I'd love to say that this message is all going to be like snowballs and ice cream, okay? But we're going to look at Moses... And we're going to look at how Moses overcame insecurity. Now, I know as soon as I say it, there's these thoughts of like, oh, we're going to go there. Yeah, we're going to talk about how insecurity has affected all of us and that it's running our nation in a very unhealthy direction. And we're going to discover how Moses, who you might think would be the goat of the Old Testament, like he was, I mean, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know what kind of man of God you got to be to write the book of Leviticus? And if you grew up like Moses by the age 12, you had to memorize. After Moses, it became the rule that your education was to memorize those first five books. And that means that you spent months of your life as a young person memorizing chapters in Leviticus about what to do with skin disease and things that itch. <laughs> Moses could clearly, could clearly be considered the goat of the Old Testament, but for some crazy reason, he struggled with more insecurity than anybody. And I think it's telling because sometimes even in our culture, the people who are the most seemingly secure still deal with this nagging voice that says, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not good looking enough. There's this voice in the background that's always kind of saying you're less than what God says you actually are. And so today, the greatest overcomer of all time, we're diving into the deep into the pool first to see the issues that led to Moses feeling incredibly insecure. And, and I know what's going to happen in the room because I've already preached the message one time. Okay, everybody? I know what's going to happen that as soon as I start on the list, you're going to kind of see yourself in the list pretty quick. And you're going to feel this tendency to kind of like, to, to kind of fall prey to, oh, that, 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 well, that's me. Can I just tell you, don't let yourself spiral too far because this is about an overcomer, everybody. This is not someone who was overcome by insecurity. It's somebody who overcame the insecurity. And so stay hopeful, but let's be real, okay, everybody? As we begin the story, more, Moses begins his life. He's being born into the world when the Hebrew people were having lots of babies. Like, lots of babies. 
And the Egyptians decided that in order for them to stay in power, for the Egyptians to be the ruling party, they needed to limit how many children the Hebrew people had. And so the Pharaoh did one of the most terrible things you could ever do. He decided to kill every, un, every born male under the age of two. And so he commanded all the midwives to start killing boys. It's kind of a crazy time to be born in. And this is where we discover the first challenge for Moses. Moses had to overcome, take some notes with me. He had to overcome abandonment. Exodus chapter two and one, it says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Come on, just keeping it close. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she thought, saw that he was a fine child, I love this because every mom, when they have a baby, thinks their kid's good looking. Can we be honest today? Almost every baby ain't good looking when it comes out. Come on, let's be honest. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She decided that she had to let him go for fear of what might happen to her and to him. You know the story because... Disney has told the story and Hollywood has told the story. He's floating down the Nile in his little basket, but his sister's running alongside watching him. And he comes by Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's daughter's bathing and wants to know what's in the basket. And she finds a beautiful Hebrew boy because God had a plan for his life. And she draws him out of the basket and decides that she's going to keep him for her own. And Moses' sister comes running up and says, hey, do you need somebody to nurse that child? I just love how God works, right? A mother had to abandon her child because she felt like she had no other choice. And then God does a miracle within minutes of her letting go of her child. Her daughter comes back and says, hey, by the way, Pharaoh's daughter's adopting old Moses and you're gonna get to nurse him for the next nine months. It's a beautiful part of the story, except for the fact that once he was nursed, she had to leave him again. It's an incredibly challenging point that that Moses began, whether he liked it or not, feeling abandoned. And I think this is prevalent in our culture that so many of us feel that someone has rejected us or abandoned us. As we follow the story, he's raised in a genocidal maniac's home. This is what Pharaoh is. This is who he is. He's slaughtering children under two. This is crazy. And so everywhere he went, he saw, number two, he saw violence. He experienced violence. And so as you can imagine, being a violent person wasn't something that was too far from him. The story goes on in verse 11 that one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and put him in the sand. He went from an environment that could have been healthy and good to being abandoned and then completely living in violence. 
And unfortunately, like many people in our culture today, that violence begets violence. That instead of standing against the violence, the only way to survive is to become violent themselves. And so this is where Moses is as a young man. And if that wasn't enough, he thinks, well, sure, listen, I stood up for the Hebrews. Surely they're going to accept me now. Because he grew up with one foot on this side of the tracks and one foot on the other side of the tracks. He grew up with all the wealth of the Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, but he was a Hebrew boy. So he wasn't one of them and he wasn't one of them. No matter where he went, number three, he faced rejection. He was never a part of the in crowd. He was always the out crowd. The Hebrews saw him coming by in his chariot and they say, he doesn't deserve that. What did he do to get that? And they rejected him in every environment. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, the next day after he buried an Egyptian in the sand, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? You should be, you should be hating the Egyptians. And listen what the Hebrew says, who are you? Who made you judge, ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? When he thought that they would embrace him and maybe see him as a leader, they said, you're not one of us. These are the same things that you and I, we deal with in our lives. Maybe you weren't abandoned in the same way. Praise God, no one floated you down the Nile River. Maybe you didn't suffer the same kind of violence that he did, but we live in a violent world right now where that's become acceptable. And it's led us to this environment of rejection where everywhere you go, someone is shaming someone else because they're not the same. I just wish that maybe we could come back to saying we're all human beings. I kind of remember the old Sunday school song, you know, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And you may say, well, I, I don't know if that's an appropriate song. Well, listen, we're all made in the image of God. Amen, everybody. And for whatever reason, our skin is made of the same color. But for whatever reason, depending on what level of skin tone you have, you're a little darker, a little lighter. You're a little more this color, a little more that color. Does it really matter? Because we're all made in the image of God. Amen, everybody? It's a good time to say I agree. I think about some of my early rejection moments. How many of y'all would be so honest to tell me you remember the first time you went after that girl? Come on, fellas. And, and you weren't cool enough yet. You didn't quite have the swag that the older fellows had. I remember when I was 13, I decided that this older girl was going to be my girl. Her name was Michelle. She had blonde hair, long and curly. I thought, surely, at 13, you don't have an ounce of fat on your body. At 13, you're as confident as all confident can be. Come on. You just passed through puberty and thought you won. But you didn't. I went after her with everything that I had. And then I found out. I thought, you know, surely she would want to be in love with me. Then I found out that she was into older men. And listen, no matter how you spend it, a 13-year-old don't have nearly as much muscle as an 18-year-old. 
It just ain't fair. In that five-year span, there's a big difference in what happens. And though I was flexing with everything I had, he was winning, all right? And I was rejected. I'm bringing a little humor because you need a little humor because it gets heavier after this, okay? But the reality is that, that breakup, that rejection led me to discovering mixtapes. Anybody remember mixtapes? Come on now. Come on, you had your breakup tape, right? You just had your, you had your songs that you would go to. Anybody remember your favorite boys to men? Come on. Little Brian Adams, I'm not singing it, Dad. All right, just leave me alone. I remember walking down along the Mississippi River, 13 years old, heartbroken, listening to Brian Adams. Some of y'all don't even know who he is. Google him, all right? Sound like he was crying every time he sang. It gets a little worse for Moses. Because, because of his violence and because of the rejection of his people, no, number four, he, he gets displaced. He realizes that he, he doesn't have a home, so he's got to run. Boy, doesn't this feel like us right now, Hurricane Ida, living somewhere else, trying to make ends meet on every side. This is what Moses was going through. Verse 14 says, then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. He had to run for his life. He became a fugitive from justice, but I don't think he saw himself as a murderer. I think he's like, in light of how Pharaoh lived, Moses was carrying out justice. We find him in the story living out in the middle of the wilderness, not knowing what to do or where to go. And it leads us to number five, and I gave it to you in the beginning. It just leads to insecurity. It leads to him not knowing who he is or where he should go or what he's supposed to do with his life. And he's sitting by a well. And while he's there, This man, this priest of Midian who had seven daughters who would tend his flock. Why were the daughters tending the flock? Because he had no sons. And Moses said, well, I guess I'll, I'll help them water the flock. And so he helps them take care of the flock and Midian invites him over. And Moses decides to stay in a place with someone that he didn't know, with no one he had any relationship with. I think he did it because he had seven daughters. How about y'all, Okay. Chapter three and verse one says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro and his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. He started tending the flock because he didn't know who he was or what he was doing. He felt completely insecure for who he was supposed to be. If you go back to the previous verse, guys, I think you missed the previous one. But at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And then Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom. In their day, you named your children based upon how you felt about life. 
And Moses named his child Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Can I modernize the language? It doesn't get any more insecure than this. I don't know who I am and I don't know where I am. I don't know if I belong. And every time his son walked in, he would say, hey, I don't know who I am and I don't know where I belong. In every context, his firstborn child remind him of his insecurity, that he was abandoned, that he was rejected, that he was uh, treated with violence, that he, he was put in the worst of situations, and that led him to simply say that, I need to be reminded. Do y'all feel the level? I'm so glad that we abandoned that as a principle in society, aren't y'all? Because our society has so much brokenness that we would be naming our children some of the worst things. But if I'm not taking this too hard, we haven't given our children the names. But unfortunately, we've imprinted the same insecurity. We've passed on the abandonment, the rejection, the violence that's been done to us. We've carried it on. And this is where we find Moses in the wilderness. He's just, I guess I'm going to stay with this guy I don't really know. He had one good looking daughter, sounds like a plan to me. In chapter three, as I began just a moment ago, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. So he's even trying to get away from them. And he came to Horeb the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses said, I'm gonna go over and see this strange thing. Why? Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, from within the bush. Can we paint this picture? I mean, I've been around a lot of fires. I've never been around one that talked to me. <laughs> right? This is what's going on. It's startling. Moses. Moses. What do you do in that moment? Here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. When we hear the word holy, we think perfect. Holy means ground that's been set apart for something special. He said, Moses, take your sandals off, because you're standing on the ground that's going to change your life. You're standing on the ground that I have separated to change the trajectory of who you are. I have defined this burning bush and I'm talking to you out of it and it's freaking you out to show you that I'm the God that's going to change all the rejection, all the abandonment, all the violence, all the, I am the God who can do these things. And I just love, he said, take your sandals off because while you're here, some things are going to change. 
And today, I, I just, I, I feel an extra level of bold, boldness lately. I hope you can tell. It's because we bought a building, okay? Like, I, I'm just kidding. It's not the building. I'm feeling an extra level of boldness because I'm, I'm tired of dealing with the insecurity that's living in our culture. I'm tired of living with the brokenness of men and women who are called by God to be better, but have bought into a lie about themselves and are living far below what God has for them. I'm bold today to deal with issues like this because there's better for you. God has a plan for your life. You don't have to live in the insecurity of the past. When you encounter God, this is what he begins to do. He begins to unravel all the lies of the enemy. He begins to unravel the generational curses that were passed from your grandparents to your parents and into your life. He begins to change them. I think of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. I think about the decision that my parents made to follow Jesus. And how it broke things in our lives that I would have had to live with had he not stood for them. Unfortunately, my great-grandfather wasn't a godly man. And he largely would take my grandfather to a whorehouse on Fridays to cash his check. You say, Pastor, did you say that in church? Yeah, that's what he did. My grandfather was brought up with a generational envi environment that, that you don't, you're not faithful to one, you play the field. And that's hard to say. So my grandfather was brought up with an environment that didn't care much, that didn't love much, that was lots of rejection, and he lived in that for many, many years. Praise God he got saved later in his life and began to change it. But I think about my father when he was going to get married at 18 years of age and my grandfather saying, why do, you want to, why do you want to get married? Why do you want one when you can have as many as you want? I mean, I'll say, well, pastor, are you really saying? Yeah, that's, that, that was really a part of our family culture. But I love that there was something different in my parents that they had fallen in love at 14 and 13. Come on now. That was before Brian Adams. We're talking Tina Turner kind of days, right? And I'm thankful that I was brought up in a family environment that said, no, we're not perfect. No, we don't have it all worked out. And I love to make fun of the quirks in my family. Y'all get it all the time. But today I'm thankful that they chose monogamy. I'm thankful that they, they accepted the work of God in their heart and life and said, we're going to be the first ones. Wasn't done for us, we'll be different. I think about the generational blessing that came from my grandmother who's in the room today deciding to serve God and to raise her own sisters as her own children. When her mother passed when she was young, she made a decision to do what's right and later getting saved honored God in such a way that she married a man that another woman rejected because... He fell when he was in his early 20s and broke his back and became an invalid. And when one woman rejected, my grandmother accepted. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? It would have been easy to say, oh, you're a broken man. You suffered violence. You had something that happened. But instead, they decided to embrace the encounter with God. 
that caused them to be different on the inside that said, I'm going to be the one that changes it all. I think of my grandfather when he would come rolling in. My, my natural grandfather rejected the family. When he divorced my grandmother, he left us all. But man, what, what he rejected, grandfather Richie, he doubled down on and did better. I remember the first time he come rolling in and I was just a young teenager and I introduced him to someone. I said, hey, this is my step-grandfather. And he looked at me and he rolled forward. And he said, he said, I don't step on you. You don't step on me. He had joy even in a wheelchair. Where did that come from? That came from a change that happened on the inside that he accepted encounter with God. Y'all hearing me today. And listen, that encounter is still available for you. That encounter for God to change those areas of your life. If you're willing, what God did for Moses, he'll do for you. Would you take some notes with me? Here's the first thing God did for Moses. He'll do it for you. When you encounter God, he adopts you. It's the very first thing he does. He says, come on in here. You're going to be my sons and my daughters. I know that other groups said you weren't in, but you're in. By the way, I'm already putting away a little inheritance for you. When God adopted you, he knew exactly who you were and what you were and where you were going. And he still said, I'm going to take you. There are no redheaded stepchildren in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? If you're redheaded, God loves you too, okay? He adopts you into his family, Exodus 3 and 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father. This is at the burning bush, y'all. This is the burning bush conversation. I am the God of your father. My father, his father wasn't even mentioned. He was raised in a genocidal maniac's home. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face. Why would he hide his face? Because he was afraid to look at God. God, you're bringing up the most painful thing in my life. God, why are you going to do this to me? And then you're doing it in a burning bush. I need you to hear this. The Bible was written so that we could see ourselves in the stories. So that we could learn that God has adopted you. And though you might have grown up without a natural father in the home, Today, if you're open, there is a spiritual father available. And if you look to the left and right, there's a whole lot in this room. They're available. If you open your heart, God will adopt you. Here's the second thing. He says that he will accept him. Instead of rejecting us, God walks up and says, no, 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 I like you. I, I, I think you're going to fit perfect in my family. And this is one of the things I love about One Hope Church. We decided that we were going to be a generational and interracial environment. So that meant that, that old people weren't washed up and didn't have a place to be. Amen, everybody? And that young people weren't too young to do anything, right? We discovered that we need the passion of young people and the money of older people. Are y'all with me, right? <laughs> if we were going to do this well, we needed both. And or God is a generational God. But we also said that we're going to be an environment that looks like heaven. So every color is present. That every person has a place in the family. 
I think this is who God is. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, come on, read the next five words. I will be with you. Say it again. I will be with you. There's no greater acceptance statement than when someone's saying, you're with me. I love it when I meet young couples. And he says, hey, this is my fiance." And I look at her and say, oh, isn't it awesome when he claims you in public? (laughs) Fellas, don't you love it when she walks in and says, that's my man, right? All of a sudden, your chest gets bigger when she says it, right? Like you just got up from a bench press. All of a sudden, you're like, that's right. I'm her man. There's something about acceptance, right? There's something about it when someone says, hey, she's with me. You're a part of the family. Listen, I know you haven't signed the membership covenant because so many of you guys, you're kind of like, I don't know about that. Do I have to sign in blood? You don't. When you say you're a member of the church, you just say, I'm a Christian. And if you're a Christian, then you're a member. And you can serve and you can give. But we want to make sure that the people who are part of the family understand who Jesus is. And they give their heart to Jesus. He said, I'll be with you and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship right here on this spot. He said, I'm not only going to go with you. We're going to do it together. God adopts. He accepts you. He doesn't reject you. I need you to hear this though. He accepts you just the way you are, but he will not leave you that way. And neither will I. I'm not here to throw any stones. But if you walk in carrying a bag, I'm going to say you don't need to carry the bag. If you walk in carrying insecurity and rejection, I'm going to be so bold as to say you don't have to live that way. I'm going to accept you where you are, but I'm not going to leave you there. The third thing, God gives you purpose. This is a big deal. It's still the most complicated question. There isn't a, there isn't a single person that I sit down with that at some point in the conversation doesn't say, I'm still trying to figure out why I'm here. And y'all, this is one of the things where the devil is so good at smoking mirrors because it ain't that complicated. It's just not. You have a passion. There's something that when you get around it, it turns you on. Like you just get excited. I'm not talking about the girl or guy. I'm talking about you have a passion. I'm talking about like engineering. Like math. You just, you love math. You don't know why you love math. That's not me, by the way. I don't use algebra doing this. There's some of you that science... Some of you, it's the medical profession. Some of you, it's none of those things. It's just that you get to do it with people. Some of you, you you have this passion. You don't know why. And and the passion is leading you in a direction. But then you also notice that with that passion, you've got a gift. That there's some things that when you do them, you're better than others at them. And you just don't know why. I used to hate this about my brother. Then I realized that he had gifts that I didn't have and I had gifts that he didn't have. And when I stopped trying to be him and he stopped trying to be me, we were better people. 
See, I got a passion, I got a gift, and I got a personality, and so do you. And the next step class that you hear about every single week, it has a class that's called Discovery. It helps you discover your personality, your giftedness, and your passion, because inside of that triangle, you discover you're a really good hammer that's just looking for a nail. You discover, man, you're an incredibly powerful DeWalt drill, and nails really make you frustrated because you like to screw things together and put them together. You like to create, the, no, you discover that you're a tool in the hand of God. Y'all follow me? It's less complicated than you think. I have been given a really big mouth. Can you tell? I don't need this microphone. I can shout loud enough. You'd stay with me the whole time. Matter of fact, we lost power three or four times in this building and I've done it. God gives us gifts. He has a purpose for you. Exodus 3 and 16, first word on the screen. Come on, say it loud. Go. Come on, say it again. Go. You can't discover anything tied to the dock. You got to untie the boat and lift the sails. And then you sense the passion, the giftedness, and the personality of God. And you discover, come on, Tess, that you're really good on screen right? You discover, Morgan, where you're at, that you're really good bringing life into dead environments. You discover, some of you, that you don't want to be in front of anybody and walking on the stage would be the death of you, but you love stacking the communion cups. You find your gift and you go. He said, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in South Louisiana. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites. Come on, y'all read the ites with me real quick. Come on. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now God could have left all those ites out of there. He said, I, I'm, I want you to go and do something. And this is what I love about Serve Saturdays. Because you walk up and say, what are we doing? We're just going that direction. And you walk in, excuse me. And you walk in and say, oh, we're pulling up stuff over there? Great. We're cutting grass. I can cut grass. Oh, I can walk the neighborhood and be a light. And what you find when you start going, there's plenty of opportunity for your purpose. And you sleep better. Number four. Can y'all say with me? God blesses you. He adopts you. He accepts you. He gives you a purpose. And then he just blesses you. Exodus 3 and 21, he says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. I love the language. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed, somebody. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder your slavers. You'll plunder the people who are wanted to be, who wanted to wipe you off of this. No, no, you walk out with all of the blessing of God. Listen, you're not the tail, you're the head. When God adopts you, come on, he has a plan for you. Here's the last, and I need to close, number five. He empowers you to live the life. He gives you then the power 
to be that son and daughter. And this is where we break insecurity. Because you stop seeing yourself based upon the abandonment, the rejection, the violence. You stop seeing yourself based upon what you experienced. And you see yourself the way God sees you. I think this is awesome. Exodus 4 and 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon me, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm actually slow of speech and tongue and, and I sweat in church. And the Lord said to him, I love rhetorical questions from God. Who gave human beings their mouth, Moses? Who makes, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go do what I told you to do. He said, do you realize that I'm talking to you from a burning bush? And that if I can adopt you and I can accept you and I can give you a purpose and I can bless you, I'll give you the power to live it out. But you know what I find, even for Christians today, I find so many Christians today, it bothers me, it bugs me. Can I just be real with you? They know God, they know the principles of God, but they live and act out of insecurity rather than the confident child of God you're called to be. And today I'm calling it out of you. I'm calling it out of you. Come on, stop sitting on the bench. Stop waiting for somebody else to lead the family. Get up and lead. You say, well, it's, it's his job. I don't care. If the job needs to be done, do the job. If you've got the gifts and the passion and the calling, jump into it. So God says to Moses, pick up that staff over there. See that staff? Throw it back down. And the staff turns into a snake, y'all. That's cool. How many of y'all say that's cool? The uncool part is when he says, now go pick it back up. Moses, Moses walks over and he picks up the snake and it turns into the staff again. And then he says to him, take your right hand and put it into your cloak and pull it out. And his hand was leprous. It had a skin disease. He said, now put it back in there. Well, can I just tell y'all, I don't want to be touched by any skin disease. How about you? <laughs> but, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. It's been like there for a while. That's me. God, I don't want to cough in church. Yo, okay. He pulls out the hand and it's healed. And he says, go grab this bucket of water out of the Nile and pour it out and watch it turn into blood. And he said, well, and he said, these will be signs that I am with you. And today I love how the Old Testament gives us pictures of the New Testament work that God does. See, when Moses walked into this first encounter with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians threw down their staffs and they became snakes too. Can you imagine how Moses felt in that moment? Oh no, I'm in trouble right now. But he did what God said and he threw his staff down and his staff devoured the other snakes. Come on, somebody. 
It's a beautiful picture of how in the New Testament that God has given us the staff of his word. He's given us truth that devours lies. And the only thing that the enemy has that will destroy us is if we ingest the lie that you are unimportant, that you are rejected, that you are not called by God. That's a lie. You're called by God. He's given you truth. Accept the truth today. And he's given you a healing hand that will heal the generational curses in your life. If you'll come to God, he'll begin to restore what the enemy's broken. Y'all with me today? Come on. I'm preaching better than y'all are amen, but it's okay. I still love you, all right? And he said, listen, he said, listen, I want to show you that how everything in the world that when you come to God, you pour it out and it's covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you can see that deep in the scripture, but God has given you truth. He has given you healing and he has given you the forgiveness of the blood of God so that you would know today you are secure in his house. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close? every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted him as the, the Savior that he is and the forgiver of your sins, the Bible says you're one prayer away from all of that changing. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand or come to the front with every head bowed and every eye closed. If today you're far from God and you want to get close to him, would you whisper these words? I'll say them first, you say them right after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name. 